0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. I'm your host, Harry G, and today we've got a super special episode just for you. This is part two of writing and producing with Bob Cashel, television writer of The Simpsons, Third Rock from the Sun, The Muppets, and so much more. Listen in as we break down Bob's path of landing an agent at only 19 years old to navigating new grounds in television and entertainment. This is an episode you won't want to miss. And now... Hosted by Harry G. This is your one stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought. It's got to be sought. So sit back, crack a six pack, because we're about to chit chat and rip facts. It's the First Act podcast.
1: It was really funny. It was a live show. Here's my good live show story. There was a balcony around the top, and there still is around the top of the Laugh Factory, which is a really prominent space comedy space in los angeles big room it's like the comedy store the improv the left factory it's one of the top you know three or four rooms in los angeles right and up in the balcony i was standing watching the show and like i said it's live live to new york and there's a comedian on stage and i'm standing and i'm rocking back and forth on my heels and all of a sudden the light on the comedian goes off and I went, oh my what God. The fuck? And then I leaned back and the light went on. And I was like, am I fucking stepping on a buried wire under the under the thing? And I just I looked around, nobody was around. I just kind of went forward again and his light went off. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and This was live. And it was live. I just <laughs> had the power, just by rocking back and forth to control the light on this guy. <laughs> it was a really uh it was a it was funny. Um, but anyway, so that was, yeah, that's where I I, I was for mu- a few months. And then, uh, and then. And so you would do that this job while, in, ended, while you were in school? I was doing that concurrently with being in school, um, okay. which was really weird because the truth of the matter is I kind of just dropped out of school. Okay. Um. I, I I would go back and take tests, a couple tests. Um. But yeah, I was, and not only that, I was commuting from Irvine all the way to uh, Fox every day, which is a big drive, which is a long drive. Every day was about an hour and a half drive in right. the mornings, definitely. And sometimes an hour and a half back at night. So it was, it was a sizable thing. But you were making your dream happen. Making my dream happen. And I dropped out of school and I didn't go back to school for another couple of years.
0: What would you say was, you know, aside from this being kind of like your big break, right? Or, or this was your first real step.
1: It was my first real major step. It was my, here, here's the other thing. This is this is interesting. I just remembered this. At the same time, there was a show called On the Television, which was a show on Nickelodeon. And remember, this is an agent. Who, the agent told me, I'm not going to be able to get a job. I got a job on that show too. That was a guild show where it was like a parody of television shows. And it was like two, it, it was really, it was actually, and ironically, I'm just realizing that it was a lot of Groundlings members. The Groundlings members were in charge of that show. They were on the show. And
0: all of a sudden I'm writing for these Groundlings guys and women. It was wonderful. Because you're mingling with them also, right? Because that, that, that creates other opportunities too. The guy who created the show I was, a guy by the name of George McGrath who actually wrote, um, I think he wrote Pee-wee's,
1: he was on Pee-wee's Playhouse and wrote that show. And then he was on, he he uh, wrote the movie, I think Pee-wee's Big Adventure with, with Paul Reubens, with, with Pee-wee, if not the first movie, definitely the sequel. And George was a great guy and he liked me and he hired me almost the same week as the people at Fox hired me to be on their show for three times the money. It was a Writers Guild show. But the thing was, it wasn't on the Fox lot. It was on the shitty. It was in the shitty building in the middle of Los Angeles, and it was a lousy place. But I got to go to Fox every day, go through the gate, have my own parking space. I was in the freaking movie business. Right. It was like, and so I chose one third less money because I wanted to go through that gate every day because I wanted to feel like I was in this world. And it, you know, I, I have friends. I was just this weekend. With a friend of mine who I met on that, that show thirty something years ago.
0: It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. Very good friend of mine. So you've had you've had a lot of accolades in your you know, in your career now, you what, 25, 30 year career as a writer. What was your first big break?
1: So my first
0: big break,
1: my first major break was um, getting an agency. To look at my stuff, that was a major agency. And the agency I got was um, and and this is, you know, these are the kinds of stories that are always very challenging to tell because they're they're so interconnected to the business. Um, and and not everybody has this access that, that I'm about to tell you. My wife Karen, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, she worked at First, she worked at NBC as an assistant to the head of current comedy, and then she worked for Steven Spielberg. Okay. And she was Spielberg's assistant at that time for many years. And she introduced me to a woman by the name of Deb Newmyer, who I believe at the time was the head of television development for Amblin, which was Spielberg's company. And uh, Deb Newmyer, great woman, she... Um, great woman because she not only she was a great woman separate from this but she she also helped me incredibly she read my material gave my material to um to a uh, to a friend of hers named Mark Rosen who was a very big agent at the time like one of the top agents at the time i think it was at ICM i get a call from mark rosen and mark says i love your material I want to represent you. I think I was, I think at this time I was 22. Wow. I love your material. I want to represent you, but I can't, I'm living with my parents still, but I can't represent you because my agency, I think it was Inner talent was merging with ICM and I'm actually cutting clients right now. Right. And so it would have to be, you know, if, if you can wait six, seven months, maybe a year, uh, we'll definitely revisit it. If not, I want to help you who helps people right at right. that level? Like, right. I'm like, so I'm like, uh, okay, thanks. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, blah, blah, blah. And I hung up the phone. I mean, I started, I broke down crying. I was like, I was so close. And did you know who this guy was already? I had heard of him. Yes. I, yes. And I knew his, I knew his clients were, I hadn't heard of him, but I knew his, the agency was one of the top agencies in town. He had some of the biggest clients in town. And I was like, I remember that he represented, I, I, uh, I've been told a ton of the Simpsons, you know, Simpsons writers. So I was like, Oh my God, I'm so close. I was so close to this major guy taking me on. Right. So I, I just, I like broke down crying. I'm like, I was just on the doorstep and it just didn't happen. Right. Cut to the next day. I get a call from a guy by the name of Chris Silverman, who was a, brand new agent at this agency called broder kerlin Webbuffner BKWU, which was the agency where all the top writers, comedy writers, specifically in Hollywood, were in. They were, everybody was represented by BKWU. All the Cheers guys, Frasier, Taxi, Jim Burroughs, every single, every, all of my like heroes were at this agency. Right. And he called me up and he goes, "Uh, I want to represent you. I'm like, how did you even find me? Turns out Mark Rosen's assistant, Susan Rovner, Susan Rovner, who ended up running uh, Warner Brothers and and, and, anyway, one of the biggest people in the business. But she was the assistant. She was Mark Rosen's assistant. And her boyfriend at that time was this guy by the name of Chris Silverman. And she gave the script to Chris Chris read it and said, I want this guy. Not only do I want this guy, I want this guy to be my first client. So I signed with Chris Silberman a week later at Broder Curl and Webb and I was his first client. And cut to two, three months later, I had two very big job offers in two weeks. One was for the Larry Sanders show and one was for a show called Dream On, which both of them were on HBO at the time. And um, I chose the Dream On show. I chose Dream On because I loved the people. The people at Larry Sanders, and by the way, I'm not saying anything out of school. Everybody knows, at least in the industry, that the people at the top of Larry Sanders, I mean, Judd Apatow, I just heard him talking about this himself. He was at Larry Sanders. Very, very, very difficult place to work. And I just sensed it and I just, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to succeed in an environment like that, like a real challenging, beat you down, destroy your emotional state environment. And when I went to Dream On, the people at Dream On were incredibly nice and wonderful. And
0: <laughs> I was like, I'll take that. It gave you an opportunity to thrive, right? It gave me an opportunity to thrive. And especially if you have a new agency, you also don't want to get off on the wrong foot, right? You want to get off, you want to successfully do a job that he places you on. Absolutely. You build that rapport, you build that trust, and that you know just just that relationship so that he's like all right bob knocked it out of the park now we we can get him something else let's get him something else absolutely
1: but you know you get your own stuff you really you know you you get sometimes your agency gets you things but a lot of times you get your own stuff
0: you know yeah cuz because you're you're mingling with the creatives
1: yeah you're mingling with the creatives and in fact i was um when i when i was in dream on i met uh, an executive at Fox named Kelly Kolchak, who's still a friend of mine. And Kelly um, was very instrumental to getting me into the, uh, in getting me into the Simpsons room. I really wanted to be on the Simpsons. That was like the Holy grail of comedy writing. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I couldn't do it. I just was like, I want to do this. I want to be on the Simpsons. And I would, when I first met Kelly, I met her on a general, I said, I want my dream in my life is to be on the Simpsons. And uh, I remember I was at Fox for another meeting and I literally just poked my head in her room. I was like, Hey, I want to be on the Simpsons. Remember that. Remember me. And she sure enough, got me an interview with David Merkin, who was the, the showrunner of the Simpsons at that time for the I think it was the fourth, fifth and fourth, fourth, fifth seasons. Cause it's always animations always running concurrently with a year earlier. And, um, and he hired me. So it was, uh, it was pretty amazing.
0: Do you get interviewed for something like that? Or people are just like, you know what, you've got the portfolio and no, I met
1: David. I met, I met David
0: Merkin in, in the, uh,
1: in the bungalow that we did the Simpsons from.
0: Let's talk about that. Okay. So. You know, c- can we talk about, you know, was it was it a life changing and great opportunity working with, on The Simpsons? Was it just pandemonium because, you know, it was like the hottest show and, you know, people are treated like shit or wh- how, how was it? Can we talk about this?
1: Yeah, sure. It was it was a very um, it was a very difficult time for me. It was a very difficult time for me there. I did not feel like I fit into the ethos of of that room. Individually, I thought everybody was really lovely people. I, you know, I am still friendly with people from that room, but, you know, I was this like ridiculous idiot from UC Irvine, this theater major. And um, they were all like, (laughs) they were all like comedy scientists at that time. They were all from Harvard. They were all, you know, it was the Harvard Lampoon. There was a, you know, I'm sure it wasn't like this. Look, I was 23 years old. So the things I'm going to say are coming from the mind of a 23 year old who was really nervous and was not sure of himself. You know, I was not myself, you know, I was still finding my sea legs and to be in a room full of all of these very, very highly intelligent people. Um, and sort of, it wasn't a fun room. And I think it really was because, you know, fish stinks from the top. Uh, You know, The guy who ran the show was not, we didn't gel. We didn't gel. You know, that's just what it is. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, we've all been in jobs where you're not gelling with the corporate culture or the, or the ethos of your boss or whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I, you know, David Merkin was who he was and I was who I was. And I just, at that time probably did not fit into that world, you know? And I I was very, um, I had a couple run-ins with David that didn't serve me well, but I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. And yeah. I think that one of the great lessons from that was, is that you're not right for everything, you know? Like in my mind, the Simpsons was the perfect place for me. It was the show that I watched more than any other show. It was the kind of comedy I liked more than any other kind of comedy, and I had already written two spec Simpson scripts
0: that David never had read. You'd already thought about. You, you already thought about it.
1: Tons, 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 and I was obsessed with that show. Um, didn't work. Didn't work out. You know. But, so I learned that from that show, and I also got an incredibly high recommendation for my next show from the person who I think is one of the greatest Simpsons writers, if not the greatest Simpsons writer ever, George Meyer. And George and I shared a couch, and that was the luck of my draw that I was, that I sat next to George Meyer for two years. What do you mean, share a couch? Well, the room was set up where we there were couches all around the room. Yeah. And then there was a desk at the middle, uh, in the middle of the room or the back middle of the room. And that was where David Merkin sat, like a school teacher. And we all sat, you know, in these couches around him, you know? And like I said, I shared my couch with George Meyer. So your couch was like your desk. That's where you'd work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because we weren't typing anything. You know, we weren't writing anything. There was a writer's assistant there. We were pitching ideas and we were pitching thoughts and a writer's assistant would write it all on a computer and into the computer, a computer that we never saw. We got the notes later on, but we never saw the computer. Like now, when you go into a writer's room, there's monitors everywhere. Everything that's said shows up on the monitors. When you're writing a script, I mean, even now it just seems crazy. But when you were writing a script, there was just one person typing and only one person who had the script in front of them. The rest of us were like, can you read that back? Can you read that back? Can you read that back? It was just constantly- Were you guys just
0: going in order though? Like of like the top of the episode through? Yeah. Okay. And and then you guys are just blurting out ideas. Oh, I think that Lisa should say this or Bart should say that.
1: So what would happen is we we would all pitch on an outline i mean this is the this is pretty standard or at least it was you know uh, on the simpsons pitched an outline a writer would go off they'd spend a couple weeks a few weeks writing the script they'd come back then we'd decimate the script we would just rip apart the script and every line would change you know and you ended up with a script but you would go in order and you you'd pitch and you would pitch, and the 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 you know the head of you know the, the showrunner David Merkin at that time would say, if we could do better here, we could do better scene here, we could do better jokes here. This story doesn't work, and we would just sit there and pitch them out, and and it it would change. That's how that's how you did it. That's how you still do. It.
0: So you guys would just be a bunch of lunatics in a room blurting things out and creating scripts. That's right. I love it. And I think
1: that that room was a very quiet room. So it was like a library at times. It was like thought a lot, pitched a joke. You thought a lot. And I'm just not like that.
0: You know, in this room, you know, because it, it sounds like, you know, if it's quiet a lot of the time and you sounded like, you know, you weren't really fully in your element. Do you have a highlight or like a joke or two from that, you know, we can we can uh, we can talk about from your time at The Simpsons that was your favorite?
1: You know, I don't remember a lot of jokes in The Simpsons, and I don't even know if I wrote a lot of jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons. But I wrote the episode. I wrote uh, part of the uh, Treehouse of Horror episode, which was The oh. Shining. I wrote the Shining parody. Yeah. And there was a joke in that that I wrote, and I hate to go out and like somebody's like, "No, I wrote that joke," but it's like the only joke I think I wrote. I, I was like, "Yeah," that I can remember at least. I wrote jokes for the show, so the joke was. It was Marge, she gets trapped you know, at the Overlook Hotel, whatever the fuck it, it was called, you know, in the, in, in the shinny and my thing. And, and she calls Chief Wiggum and she goes, uh, my uh, my husband is attacking me with a max. over. <laughs> and he goes, ah, thank God that's over. And he hangs up the phone and that's it. <laughs>
0: You know, I'm going to go back and, and rewatch these episodes. I'm going to look for these. I'm sure you are.
1: And I even told
0: that joke terribly.
1: She picks up the CB and she goes, my husband is attacking me with an axe. Over. Ah, thank God that's over.
0: I think so. Much. Oh, because it's the over joke. I get it. <laughs> it's the over joke. Cool. Okay, so you were on The Simpsons for how long? Two years. And, and does it pay well to be a writer? Can, yes. I, can I ask that too? Yes. Yeah, it paid very well. So this is what early mid '90s.
1: Yes, this was early
0: '90s. How, so this 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 new hotshot agent that you just got gets you a, gets you a great gig. Got me Dream
1: on and The Simpsons.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask, like, what what are you getting paid? Like, are you can you afford to live on your own in L. A. Here? Yes, definitely.
1: Yeah. are I mean, I, I remember as like a as a story editor. I think you made like five thousand dollars an episode or six thousand dollars an episode. Wow. So every episode you did, you get like six thousand or then or more. I don't even remember, but it was it was like for a kid in nineteen ninety. I mean, this was real money. I mean, this was big money. You know,
0: like we were able to buy a house. You know, I was wow. able to buy
1: a house when I was twenty four.
0: Wow, that's yeah. amazing.
1: Can't do that anymore in LA.
0: Yeah, six thousand mid nineties. And how long does it take to write an episode? Probably still quite a while, no? Like a month? Remember, it's 6,000 an episode that is produced on the show, not 6,000 episodes that you write. Right. So
1: you're doing 25, 26 episodes every season, you know, and you're getting paid that much money per, you know, per season is that, I guess at that time I was a story editor. You go from staff writer to story editor to executive story editor to co-producer to producer, to supervising producer, to co-executive producer, to executive producer. That is the traditional ladder of, of uh, uh, you know, a of hierarchy of, of writers. Wow. But so every time you see a, a producer credit on television, not every time, but most of the times, those are writers.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. So, and you're at The Simpsons for how long? years. And then I was fired because David and I didn't get along. And I went bowling a lot. For some reason at that time, I was really into bowling. Oh, I want to talk about that for a second. I love bowling. Yeah, I, during pandemic, actually, right before pandemic, I took up bowling as a hobby that I wanted to get better at. Yeah. I initially started a, an Instagram account called Halfway to 300.
1: Oh, you're kidding.
0: And then I didn't actually post very much on there. But I um because I can't throw the ball with my thumb in the hole, cause my arm just always goes to the gutter. Yeah. So I bowl yeah. with just two fingers. So I got uh-huh. my thumb hole plugged and I spin the ball. I start off, you know, all the way to the left and I spin yeah. the ball. I went from bowling like a, probably like an average of like a 77 <laughs> to now I can, my best game 213. Oh, that's great, yeah. But I average around 150, maybe a yeah. little bit more.
1: Yeah. I would, I would bowl 10 games a day, three days a week. Wow. So I was bowling. I mean, I would just get, I would just drive down to Corbin Bowl, which is near, was near my house, still is near my house. This, this house, it's getting closer. And I would literally just, I would just bowl, 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 bowl. And, and I started hitting it to the, in the 200s pretty regularly.
0: Uh, I want, I want us to, I want us to bowl together. I would love to. I haven't bowled in, I haven't literally bowled in 15 years. You don't lose it, though, because you, you, you get it back after a couple games. Do you? Yeah. Like, I, I took the whole pandemic off, and I was a little rusty, and the, my ball was a little heavy, you know, because you hadn't yeah. let it in so long. The thing is, I don't know if I have. I've torn my ACLs in both of my knees. And yeah, you don't get those back. <laughs> you
1: don't get those back. So I don't know how stable I would be, but I would try. It would be fun to slip all the way down on the wax. That would be fun.
0: You know, it's an infraction if you step over, Bob. It is an infraction. Yeah. So I joined a Jewish men's bowling league in Montreal. There's only two people in it. No, there's so many. There's so many uh, Jewish bowlers. Yeah. But the, see, the average age was probably 68. I kid you not.
1: Wait, is that a bowling ball behind you?
0: No, that's a globe. Uh, this is I'm, I'm, I'm renting a furnished sublet. But oh, okay. all my bowling stuff, except for my shoes, oddly enough, are, are here. But all my stuff's not back yet. in Montreal out east. Hard for me to find bowling shoes too because I'm a size 15. Yeah, I didn't yeah, that's great. How tall are you again? Six four? I'm I'm eight three. <laughs> Oh, so you're Bigfoot. Bigfoot. No, I'm six two. Okay. I mean yes. size fifteen, that's crazy. They don't have they don't make shoes like that in Canada. They don't make shoes like that in America. You really have to, I mean, you have to
1: order online. You, I can't go anywhere and buy shoes. It's like I, everything's a hassle. Wow. It's a nightmare.
0: Yeah, well, it's a good thing that they were paying you six grand an episode. That's fine. Yeah. All right, so now after The Simpsons, you know, you get fired, as you know, as we all do. Because, you know, that's just like... We life. all get fired from The Simpsons? No, we don't all get fired from The Simpsons. Okay. But I'm sure, guaranteed, if I got hired by The Simpsons, I'd probably have gotten fired from The Simpsons. Within a week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that funny. No. No, thanks, Bob. All right. <laughs> right. All right, so you get fired from The Simpsons. Oh, they the would have loved you, there. They would have loved you much more than they liked me. Yeah, I am. I'm weird. I'm quirky. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just too much. Anyway, keep going. All right. So what happens next? So now you have this milestone because from the outside looking in, and, and this is a question that I like to ask people, but you know, I like that our conversation is just kind of flowing. Sure. Um, I like to ask, what is the biggest co- accomplishment to others in your career? And I feel like at this point in your career, that would have been the biggest accomplishment from other people's perspective. Is that right? That I was on The Simpsons? Yeah.
1: Oh, Absolutely. Right. Oh yeah. It was like being a, it was like being a star. Anybody you told you were on the Simpsons, you were like, you were like a God. It was like, it was a very, I mean, that show at that time was the high, I mean,
0: it was the show. I mean, like, even for me now, like being like, oh, yeah, you know, Bob was on The Simpsons. You know, we're going to we're going to highlight that in the episode because it's you know, it's The Simpsons. You're, you're tied to that brand. Right. Yeah. It's the same way that like when I tell people that I that I've worked with Sia or Green Day, they're like, oh, shit, like Harrison has worked with these artists in some capacity. Sure, right. Absolutely. It has uh, it, it establishes you with some some sort of credibility. 100 percent. OK, so so what did you do next after so The Simpsons? From there
1: I got an interview with Third Rock from the
0: Sun. Uh, which you know, obviously, is, was a, it was a big hit show. After that, most of our audience, believe it or not, would probably not even know what that is. Yeah, that might be the case. Isn't that crazy? But it was a huge show when I was growing up.
1: I think that Third Rock from the Sun. If you find it somewhere, it's on Tubi. It's been on Netflix. It's it is it, it, it is to me.
0: I just love that show. It just that show changed my life. So who who is on this show? Let, let, let's let's start with that. John Lithgow was the 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 lead of that show. Yeah
1: and an actress by the name of Kristen Johnston. Was he 12 at that time when he, we started? A 12-year-old boy named Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was, you know, who's, who's become, you know, Joey Gordon-Levitt, I mean, he's like, he's the guy. And he was Joey, he was Joey to us. He was a little kid, yeah. yeah. In fact, I remember on the final episode of Third Rock, I wasn't, I, I wasn't writing, I was running another show at the time. I had run Third Rock in its fifth season, then went to do another show. It was, you know, it was a hard decision to leave, but I was asked by the company that was doing Third Rock to run another show. Mm-hmm. And I had to deal with them at that time. So I said, sure. That I was sitting on the, this rooftop set with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Joey. And I said, so what are you going to do now? He's like, well, I think he was like 16, maybe at that time, maybe 17, maybe. And he goes, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my degree, but I'm going to try to stay in the business, keep a foot in the business. I'm going to, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a lot. I like to, I would like to write and direct some independent movies, you know? Not only that come true, but then became a super, you know, duper star. So it was uh it was very prescient at that time. And you know what? It wasn't like I was sitting with a kid on the roof of this set and I'm thinking, yeah, right. I was
0: like, oh yeah, right. There's no yeah. question. This you know, you know what I mean? It's like you I, well, especially because you've been in the room with so many incredible people, so many so many talented Amazing. people, you know, so many people from Harvard, even, you know, yeah. I, I've only met like, I don't know, like four people from Harvard. You're in the room <laughs> with these guys every day. Harvard people will tell you it's not that great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, my my alma mater is McGill University, and we often get compared to actually in The Simpsons. Yeah, the Harvard of it's not the Harvard of Irvine, but it is the Harvard of Canada. That's what they say. Lisa Simpson says. Uh, or, or Marge says, you know, McGill University, it's the Harvard of Canada. And then Lisa, I think, says the anything of anything is really the nothing of, no, of, no, of nothing. I think yes, I'm <laughs> that's sure. the line. Yes. We, we always heard that at, at McGill, which was great. But yeah. um, not to toot my own horn. So here's here's the thing. So, yeah, I, I can totally see what you mean when you're saying that you know you're chatting with joseph gordon levitt and you believe it because you've been around talent and you've been around people that are you know maybe just good enough or maybe not good enough you're surrounded by it but and if you're surrounded by excellence and the top of the top is telling you something you know you believe it yeah
1: you just know yeah exactly and you know he he was so dynamic and interesting and smart i mean just Smart as a whip. Like he he is a brilliant guy. There's also a, a character actor, French Stewart, who was just brilliant as this weird alien Harry. And it was about four aliens who come to Earth and they get, you know, they get the opportunity to, you know, to study Earth and study people. And it was just a great opportunity for us to write about humanity and about the foibles of humanity and really examine people. It was, it was really, really fun and really dynamic. And look, it was nominated for best show uh, for a few years. John Lithgow won, I think four or five Emmys for for the lead actor in a comedy. It was, it it won all kinds of awards and accolades. It was a very special show and it changed my life. That show really was, you know, it, it was my, it was, I think it was my favorite thing to this day. I think it's my favorite thing I've ever done in the business. Because of the people. Because of the people. We had an incredible group of writers. We all just became very close friends. I mean, we all, it was like it was just a cult in that room. We were just, we everything that The Simpsons wasn't to me, that feeling of being free and creative for me, from the person I was. Other people felt differently, but for mm-hmm. the person I was, all of that I found at third rock. Everything. Everything was, was just like, you just like, you pitch something, somebody built on that, something then you built back on that. It was like, it was just like being at the, you know, like, like, uh, you know, at at the beach with sandcastles that just kept, you just kept building them and throwing sand at each other. And, and it was like fun. It was so much fun and play. You know, it, I, for me to excel, I need that kind of, that kind of thing. More than a room that is just seeped in silence and you know thought. You know, I remember hearing Frazier used to be like that. It's like Frazier. I don't know if anybody would know Frazier is either, but Frazier was one of the uh, another one of the big seminal shows of of the of, of the sitcom era. You know, it was a spinoff of Cheers, which was another one of those shows. And the room was just. I heard. I always heard the room was very quiet, very silent, very much like you had to have a fully fleshed out page of material in your head before you pitched. i've just never been like that you know i'm a shoot from my hip kind of guy and so are the other the others in the room and we all just played and we all just really supported each other and it was a very special time to be in your 20s on a show you loved that was getting accolades and and great reviews and making really good money and it was just it was the you know it was the time of my life back then
0: that's it great. great man i'm, yeah, I'm- I'm happy to hear it. I feel like I could I could tell I could tell that you love this time. All right. So it's, you know, Bob, I just want to jump ahead for a moment. Sure. You know, uh, I see here that you did this TV series called Anytime with Bob Cashel. What was that? Thanks for tuning in to part two. Stay tuned for part three. Remember, new episodes release every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific. See you there.